You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely Podcast presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps, it's about to get deep. This is an emergency broadcast. This is not a drill. The following instructions are vital to your listening experience. Do not turn off your radio. Do not turn down your volume. Pay attention. What you're about to hear is crucial to the following episodes of the Deep and Lonely Podcast. It's time for something new. It's time for something exciting. On January 12th, 2024, the Deep and Lonely Podcast will have a new sound and a new name. Featuring my good buddy, Stephen Basham as co-host, we will unite houndsmen and canine fanciers across the globe. We are taking our podcast deeper into the world of competition coon hunting and entering realms of the canine world which we have never explored before on air. This new podcast is the brainchild of two friends who are striving to bring camaraderie between canine fanciers of all styles and those who are always dogging. Get ready. We will be Simper Dogging. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Deep and Lonely Podcast. Today, I am joined by one of the most relevant men in competition coon hunting. He's been relevant since the day he started. He hasn't really taken any time off, and he will continue to be relevant for years to come, I hope. Mr. Jeff The Rock Rickliffs. (laughs) Hey, Bryce. How are you? Good, man. I'm doing great. How, How are things going up here? Things are great. Things are great. Staying busy at work? Yep. Very busy working too much right now with 
the harvest season, but other than that, everything's good. Yeah. So you're, you're still working. What it, how do you find time to work and coon hunt as hard as you do? Cause I know you're doing both of them pretty hard. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I'm strictly a one dog man have been for many years. So, um, and usually it's a dog that is, is, you know, if you can have a dog that's so-called finished because you never have one, that's completely finished. But my big thing is I have one. It's usually just needs hunted and, and, you know, tuned on during the week. So with this one, Hobo's four years old. I try to hunt three nights a week, two nights a week, you know, whatever, just enough to keep him in shape. So, and work wise, um, I've just been part-time for the last couple of years. Um, it's not far off. We're going to retire for good, but right now we're working a lot of hours and I've been working, you know, three, maybe four days a week, but still go to a lot of hunts. So I, yeah. <laughs> I can't sit on the couch because I, it's not me. I just, yeah. I, I know the dog needs to be hunting and stay in shape. So yeah. And you do, I mean, it looks like most of these major events, you're still at them and up and down the road, no matter where it is, North, South, East or West, you can almost guarantee there's going to be a Jeff Furcliffe's entry yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm very fortunate to have people behind me that, that send me to those places. And I, you know, I had back surgery a year and a half ago that fixed me. Um, I was about done, but I'm a new man and I, I can walk now with, you know, I can keep up with about anybody on flat country. Um, so yeah, I'm, I want to, I want to keep doing as long as I can and I feel good now. So, yeah. So, so just, let's just start off. I know you've done several podcasts with other people and I don't want this to be redundant to any of that, but for the people who might not have heard any of the podcasts you've done, let's just start off with a, you know, a quick description of, of kind of how you got to where you are today. Run us through, you know, your early, early times and, and where you are today. Sure. Uh, very young, um, around nine, 10 years old. Uh, there were some farmers local, went to school with their son and just kind of went up there on the weekends and they had livestock, helped them mess around with livestock. And I had no idea, you know, I, at the time I kind of rabbit hunted and pheasant hunted a little bit with my dad. And I was, I was really ate up with any kind of hunting and guns, but I was really young, didn't know I, uh, coon hunting. What, what is even coon hunting? But so they would take me on the weekends, um, of course, when we didn't have school and, I was just amazed from a very early age that a dog could actually go out and smell and, um, you know, where coon's been. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it was amazing to me that dog could go out and smell where a coon's been and find it in a tree. So, um, you know, I started, I got a dog when I was not between 10 and 15. So I a pup and it, you know, I didn't really have, couldn't go out by myself or anything, but when I was 15, I got a, a dog that could actually compete a little bit and went out did a little bit competing and just it went from there had you know bought dogs and started winning some hunts and first man that ever really kind of hired me so somewhat to hunt a dog was henry hit back in the day cadillac style um henry's quick stop dogs like that and you know went from there to just kept proceeding on to other people were in i finally in about oh it was 2000 right around 2000 um 99 probably brad fleetwood um came to me with a young doll named named henry and asked me to hunt him still wasn't really hired i mean he sent me to a lot of hunts but um did a lot of a lot of winning with henry and um john burgess came into the picture and he was looking for a full-time handler and we're talking like paid salary, 401k insurance and everything. And this is to handle coon dogs. And he actually um, interviewed people like it was a job. And I got the job, talked to him into buying Henry after that. And, um, is that hardwood Henry? Yes. 
yeah, he's Hall of Fame. I won a truck with him and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a little before your time, but that was my real first where people took, you know, all over the United States really took notice of me and, and a dog. I did a lot. You know, I traveled a lot. Placed me and Henry got, you know, second, third, and fourth in the Nationals three years in a row, which is really unheard of. Um, so, yeah, went from there to – when John decided to get out of it, that's when Mr. Uh, John Strickland got into it. And, um, with me, he hired me at the same thing. And that's when I hunted, uh, we had several dogs, but the, the most well-known dog at that time was bad habit. Um, he's hall of fame now and everything. We, we did a lot of with him hard with Jenny, which was out of Henry. So, you know, from there I went Greg Dunlap, John got out of it for a little bit, hunted for Greg, um, wild bill. And then we bought Cabo and then John got back into it. And that's where we're at basically today. Um, hunting hobo. Yeah. So something that I find is pretty interesting is, you know, you've been doing this for 45 plus years. And whenever I first got into coon hounds, I had no idea that there was money involved in it for the first year or so. I, I honestly did not know that there was even competitions, mm-hmm. you know, um, the first time I went coon hunting was with the Kerr dog oh, just yeah. a, a buddy in college that had this cur that would tree squirrels during the day and tree coons at night and i i was like man that's just amazing so you know I'd, I'd grown up going down to north carolina to my granddaddy's and running deer dogs in the winter time and so i was always had this this desire to hunt with dogs deep down in me but in indiana i didn't you can't run deer dogs right and so the, we didn't have anything didn't know anything about it so whenever i found out okay there's these coon dogs okay and that's something i can do so Fast forward when I find out that you can make money in it, that's when I get really invested in it. And I heard that there was this professional handler. And like I said, this was a year or two, in, probably a year into me even knowing what a coon dog really was. And the name that come up was Jeff Rickless. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like that's cool, you know? And I didn't know who you were, had no idea who you were, didn't know anything about you. All I knew was that there was a man out there who was supposedly getting paid a salary had a company truck, had a 401k, yeah, and he was chasing these dogs around. And I just, I was mind blown and flabbergasted by that, you know? And obviously, honestly, at the time, I was like, you know, whoever this Jeff Rickliffe guy is, like, he, he won't be doing this much longer, you know, whatever. And here we are today, you know, I've hunted with you a, a few times, um, hung out with you quite a bit, and, sure. and really got to know you pretty well over the last few years. And it's just very interesting to me that you know going from a time when i didn't know anybody didn't know anything about the sport your name was the first name brought up and today it's something that you're still doing and you're still very very competitive at sure do you think that you've ever had a loss of desire for the sport has there ever been a time where you're like man i just don't know or is it still something just it's just consumed you yeah i mean it it, it's to the point now i'm I'm not going to say there hasn't been times and and recently even like, man, should I just, you know, I'm 60. Should I just quit doing this? Um, maybe hunt a dog here and there for somebody and quit running up and down the roads. But, but that's just a very, you know, fleeting moment when that, when that crosses my mind, because it's just a part of my life. You know, like you said, I've been doing it. I've been doing competition since I was 15. You know, I didn't do it a lot back then, but from the time I was 20 on, I, I've stayed very busy doing it. And, um, I just, I don't know. I couldn't see a time now and it's competitiveness, of course. Right. I mean, me and Strickland talk about this all the time. 
if they quit doing the competition hunts, we'd probably be done because, you know, I'm just competitive everything. I go play poker. I want to win. I play golf. I want to win. You know, uh, rumor has it that on the golf course, you may or may not take losing very well. I don't, not too many coon owners can beat me. Okay. All right. I've just, I've just heard from a few guys, you know, mainly one guy, like he, Steve he, wear, he wears this cowboy hat yeah. around it, you know? Well, I tell you what, we've probably played 200 times and he's beat me twice. <laughs> he caught me in a bad moment. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I wasn't very happy when he, cause I mean, usually, sorry, Steve, I got to tell the whole story, but usually I beat him by 20 strokes. And when he beat me, two times last winter in Florida when I hadn't got to play for several months and he's living down there. I wasn't very happy, but <laughs> we're going to try to not let, let that ever happen again. Well, I hate to derail the train there on your conversation, but I had to throw that in. <laughs> That's okay. I heard about that and gosh, that made me laugh. Ooh, that was a bad drive home from Florida. I bet it was. I bet it was. <laughs> the Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by joy dog food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast? I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying studying the map when i'm riding trails i put the tracking app on it helps me get around in strange country i could mark water sources food sources bear sign just all kinds of options within onyx you need to check out onyx maps by going to houndsmanxp.com click on the link on our sponsor page you'll go right to onyx maps and when you check out Enter the code HXP20 and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. So, so, so sorry, continue. Um, what were you saying about, you know, you've hunted with, oh, with the competitiveness? Yeah, and, and it's so, it's just, it's, it's the competitiveness. And I mean, I'm thinking, what would I do if I didn't do that? I mean, honestly, that's, that's a way of life. I mean, right. so... And there again, I'll bring up the back issue because people, I don't think people realize how close I was to being done because of my back. I mean, I was there, I, we, the first hundred thousand dollar Michael Moody hunt in Mississippi was the one, I mean, well, I knew it was getting close anyway, but when that one was over, I said, it's either back surgery or, or I'm just going to be able to have to pleasure hunt and, you know, ride the ranger around and hobble to the dogs. Cause it, I mean, I was in a lot of pain and. 
that was in like February and I had surgery the end of March. Yeah. And, um, phew, it's changed my life. It really has. I mean, my, honestly, my back is as good as when I was 20 years old. I have zero pain. That's good. Zero. Oh, that, it's that's awesome. I, I know I talked to you, I think it was right after your surgery down in Kentucky. It was maybe like the, the TOC zones, maybe. I don't know. We were down in Kentucky somewhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think we were sitting outside of a McDonald's waiting on the cast to get together. And you just had your surgery. And you were like, man, like it, it it's, it's still a little sore, a little tender, but I'm going to be back. Two weeks after surgery because um, I couldn't hunt hobo. Basically, I mean, you know that. It was only two weeks after surgery. So we had it all planned where Ashley Oxidine um, came up to handle hobo in the TOC zones. So I met him because I had hobo here. Which is kind of a funny story there. I tried to go hunting seven days after surgery around here. I did go for two drops, and my wife, you know, she basically said I'm stupid. And I was because it took me forever to walk 50 yards. But I felt oh, I got to hunt him a little bit before Ashley gets here. Right. But, so I met Ashley down there, and he hunted him. Yeah. And I I knew basically right away the pain was gone. I yeah. Mean, so, yeah. That's good. It's fantastic. So, you know, kind of the way that I want to just go about this is is I'm intrigued. I always love hearing about the history of the sport because, you know, I've, I, I've said it on this podcast numerous times. I've only really been in this for eight or nine years now. And, and hearing where we come from, to me, is very important to know and to understand because I believe that sets the foundation for where the future is going to go. And, you know, you've been around for 45 years. Mm-hmm. You, you have won everywhere you can win you've won in every registry um a couple of your your top accolades there i believe you were second in pkc top money earner for over 10 years yeah right uh, 10, i think you, you've been sitting in the top 10 at least for the last 20 something years yes. all-time money handler, all-time money winner mm-hmm. ukc right now you hold the top spot for yep. money earned with yes. your big win at the tournament of champions um you know pro sport i think you've done a little bit of winning in pro sport yeah, I've probably, I don't know, between fifty and a hundred thousand somewhere. Pro sport with limited. I mean, they've only been around a couple of years, and I'll be honest, I haven't. I mean, I've had a, had, I've had a little luck in pro sport, but you know, like John Strickland, you know, he's for he has won just about anything he can. So my luck's changed a little bit in pro sport lately, and we've done pretty well. I'm, I've been doing pretty well in it. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm up there somewhere. Yeah, so you know, between all three registries, if you if you just did some quick basic math, it puts you right around somewhere with a million dollars won. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, basically, I'm sure it's over. If you, I mean, if you throw in like um, invitationals, yeah, things like that, that's money I won. Yeah, in, I forget the, about the invitationals, like the Randy Morgan invitational oh, and all yeah. that. And, yeah, and uh, Russ Myers. Yeah, the Russ Myers so invitationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many yeah. thousands of dollars there, so it's it's over a million. I um, Strickland told me he's going to help me. We we're going to sit down and. Do some figuring on and try to write down everything I've won because, you know, that's 45 years is a long time and you forget about a lot of things. Like, so AKC, I won the AKC Nationals with Mr. Clean. That was 10 grand. Right. Don't even think about it, you know. Right. So CHKC won many thousands in CHKC. Right. So there's a lot of things you I, for, I forget, you know. And yeah. Most people don't even, they don't know. Right. Absolutely. And, and I don't know how many guys that are still competing at a level today can say that they've won over a million dollars. You know, right. this this can be for people who don't understand the sport of competition coon hunting. This can be a, a life changing um, sport for people. Obviously, you're still working, you know, a job, and but it's a, and it's a hobby and it's a passion. But you can make money while you're doing it. Oh yeah. And 
as a handler, I don't know that these owners and these money guys are <laughs> yeah, making much money. No. But as a handler, you can do it. So, like I said, I that's just kind of where you've been. And I want to just know more about the past. Like, so when you started coon hunting, who were the big names back then? Who were your idols? Who did you aspire to be? Oh, boy. Um, you know, back in my early hunting career, you know, PKC hadn't even got a foothold in Indiana at all. I mean, I basically was, hunted, was it still the PCA? No, it was PKC back that I, when I can remember. Okay. Um, so that would have been around. I'm trying to think when I really started in competition hunting. Um, hard. It would have been late '80s. Um, we'd have to check with PKC on like my number, you know, three zero zero five zero. So it's not real low. Right, but it's fairly low compared to the numbers now. So, but you know, I didn't really hunt in any PKC. I, I remember the first few PKC hunts that really came around. Um, I remember what dog I was hunting. You know, was who, like, who are you hunting? It was a little dog of my own named Trixie. She was off of an old female I had named Jackie that I bred to Pac Man. Yeah, um, directly drove to Tazewell, Tennessee, and bred her to. That's um. um Randall Myers had Pac-Man down there, so I'd drive all the way down there, which Pac-Man was 40 minutes from my house, but, you know, at Russ's, but he wasn't there at the time, so I had to drive all the way to Tennessee to breed. But, yeah, so that little female Trixie was probably the first one I ever hunted. Um, You know, and then, so that's where Henry Hitt comes into play. Okay. Um, He was one of the first one. You know, he was a he was a big name as far as an owner. Um, He he was getting up in some age at that time. So he couldn't really handle, he had handled back in his time, but he was kind of a flashy guy to a real fancy truck and had rings and jewelry. And, you know, he was one of the guys around to hunts and he took notice of me winning. So, you know, I don't, why did he trust me with it all? He didn't really know me. He was from Northern Indiana. I was from West Lafayette, but we got to talking and kind of hit it off. And, um, so he sent me a dog Cadillac style, Henry's quick stop, Piney Hill Liz or some of the ones that I hunted for him didn't get paid, but, um, you know, he paid the entries and, you know, paid from paid my entries and paid the fuel and food and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so like, you know, if, if today somebody new getting into it, they're going to jump on Facebook and, you know, start doing a little research on competition and they're going to see some major names. They're going to see, obviously you, they're going to see dual Murphy, Dustin Weed, Michael Ward, uh, Eric Pyatt, Kevin Cable. They're going to see all these names. Who were those guys when you were when you were starting? Oh, you know, you, you definitely if there's anybody's name that would ever pop into anybody's head back in that day, it'd be Ronnie Bone. I mean, Ronnie Bone was was the god of PKC back then. I mean, he was and it, it's kind of funny I bring up Ronnie's name because um he was a all-time money winning handler for many, many, many years until this money got so volatile here in the last five, six, seven years. It's crazy. I thought, man, I got, I've got to win the world hunt. I got to win the nationals to catch Ronnie. I was second for a long time. I kind of went back and forth between me and Sluggo being second. He'd go ahead of me. I'd go ahead of him, but me and him were right there. So Ronnie was always number one, always number one. <laughs> now look at him. I mean, it's money. That's why, you know, some of this stuff, some of these wins, these young guys, they, they don't understand. Used to, the only time you could win any 20,000 or but we, we hunted pro hunts 
the win was 4,000. That's 64 dogs. You didn't get very many wins because it was so competitive back then for 64 dogs. Nowadays, these guys go, and I'm one of them. I mean, I know, but you go hunt 16 dogs, you can win twenty to $60,000 in a weekend. You know, that before, that was not possible. No way, shape, or form. You couldn't even do it in a year. I mean, now you can do it in one weekend. So, you know, the dog earnings, the handler earnings, yeah, all that stuff is just, it's it's skewed now compared to what it used to be. Yeah, it, and, and and I think that's a good a good word to use is skewed. So, um, there's a lot of people right now who are saying that money is ruining the sport, and I I personally don't agree with that statement. But no. let let we're still in the past. Let's talk about what. How do I how do I say this? What was a typical high money earning hunt back then? You know, we because like. I guess go. Let's go entry fee versus earnings. Right now, you can have a sixty-five hundred dollar entry fee yeah. and win however many thousands of dollars. What was that back in the day? So back in the day, I've just had this discussion in the last few weeks with some people too. That so our big thing back in the day, if you're talking about multiple things throughout the year, you you basically had ten or twelve pro hunts. But we'll get to that. Um, basically, you were going to added purses, and so you'd pay you know a fifty dollar entry, and there'd be 500 added thousand added to that money you might get 150 200 dogs there you know 60 dogs whatever so you entered you got in the final four you hunted it off you got 638 dollars so was there a split option back then or oh yeah two 260 maybe for a split 240 i don't remember which is funny because that's so many years that's all you were that's basically what it was if you went you could run every week, you know, on the weekends, you could find one somewhere, a big added purse. Oh, yeah, you, you, my big win. I mean, and trust me, there's many weekends you're tickled to death. You hunted it all. I mean, of course, that was that's a competitiveness. It, the money doesn't, I mean, the money means something, but back then you still just wanted to win. But yeah, a whopping 638, you know, nowadays that's a 20 grand would win. If, if you had a hunt today that was three hours away. That was the closest hunt to you, and it paid six hundred and thirty-eight dollars to win. Yeah, would you even load up and go? Absolutely not. I get a lot of the local guys, and I and I, I tell them I'm you know they they kind of I don't know if they get mad, but they ask me to come to their you know clubs and hunt. I'm I tell them, and it's it has nothing to do with them or the clubs, or, and I kind of miss hunting against some the local dogs. You know, I won't go if they don't pay four thousand dollars or more. I'm not going. I'm not, I haven't hunted in an open bit in nine years. I haven't done it. Now, I'm not saying that if I had a pup that needed that or something, it's, you know, it's just, I've been there, done that. My God, I've hunted in bazillions of them. There's too many, there's so many other things. I don't even, you know, I could go to one that pays 10 grand almost every weekend and I still don't go every weekend. I don't, I don't want to, you know. Right. It's too much. Yeah, but it is. No, I'm not driving anywhere for six hundred thirty. Yeah, if just, you guaranteed me a, the win, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just Crazy. curious, you know, like like how that. Yeah, it's how that mindset is when somebody has done it for so long, absolutely, and, and stuff like that, you know. So, like the, the let's let's go. We've talked about kind of the earnings there. Let's go to dog prices. Oh my goodness. Okay, so. Today, it is not unheard of to see a dog posted for sale for anywhere ranging from 20000 to over 100000 Depending on the caliber dog, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But here recently, we've seen a couple of dogs posted for $75,000, $100,000. Okay. Sure. 
And those are elite dogs performing at the top level. When you were coming up into this sport, let's say your first 10 years, what was the going rate for a good dog? Oh, my goodness. Probably top caliber. I mean, just one that's winning everywhere, five to ten. You can't you can't hardly buy a spring one-year-old that's tree and coons for $5,000 right now. You know, it's crazy because I remember there might have been one sold for as much. But the the top dollar dog that I can absolutely remember back and it's been not been that long ago, twenty five years ago, was Henry. John Burgess paid thirty thousand for Henry, you know, and that was like people were just floored, you know. And but there again, if we're talking, you know, you gotta compare apples to apples, oranges to oranges, we get into a whole nother subject then, because back then, you know, the old timers nowadays are saying, Oh, the dogs nowadays aren't near as good as the old 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 dogs. Well, that's that's absolute baloney. The dogs nowadays are way, way better. I mean, and more, even keel is what I'm trying to say. Back then you had, you know, a dog here and there, just say 10 dogs throughout the whole country that were way up here, very, you know, almost unbeatable. Not, you know, none of them are unbeatable. Right. but In the upper echelon. Yeah. And um, I don't care. Nowadays you go to a, one of the big hunts, you know, pro sport truck hunt, you go to the you know, $6,500 hunt, $5,000 hunt, whatever. I promise you any four dogs in that cast can win now. Yeah. It's, there's no easy pickings now. It's, it's whatever you got to have the breaks. And back then I keep bringing up Henry because, and Henry and Habert, but I, I'll never forget more than once when I was in the semifinals or quarterfinals, whatever the nationals, they'd run out when I'd pull in and say, come in here and draw. Everybody wants to know if we got to hunt against Henry. I mean, I, I, basically, I did. I played second, third, and fourth in the Nationals three years in a row. I was all, basically almost unbeatable until the final cast. Right. So, I mean, he was an upper echelon dog. He really, really was. I mean, he made my job very easy. He was just a, a coon trier. But nowadays, you're going to draw three other coon triers. It's hard. It's very hard. It is. And, like – the caliber of dogs you know today let's talk about the style of them because we've we, we think the caliber you know they're probably they're better today than they were absolutely what, what about the style like i feel like today in just my humble opinion is a lot of these dogs are run as fast as you can smell one that's been on the ground pretty recently yeah. tree it and yeah. and do it again and do it again yes it was it that way back in the day or was there mm. was there a different style of dog it's a different style of dog you had um, you know, I get these, you get a lot of people saying, oh, back then they all treed together. They all treed together. Well, they didn't really. I mean, you would probably tree together a little more way back when I was real young, for sure. They treed together a little more, um, but you still had some independency in there, but oh my God. Yeah. Nowadays they want to get as far away from each other as they can. And I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of, kind of out of the norm as far as a nowadays handler because i still want a dog that can trail a coon i do my i despise a bushwhacking dog i cannot stand that i mean will i hunt one well yeah i have i mean but me personally i want i want one to can treat any kind of coon out there and it's hard to find um but yeah like you said most of them are turned loose and half mile to a mile in there they just bushwhack one and I'm not saying they can't win. I'm not saying I would never hunt one or I haven't hunted one because I have. Just not, that's not my style. 
But that's the way it's it's definitely come to that, and that's probably why they dogs have so many. You know, they're so accurate nowadays. Right. Yeah, because they're not having to gamble as much. No. They're not having to gamble. But, uh, you know, maybe jumping forward just a little bit here into the future, we'll we'll come back to the present. I'm going to jump around a little bit. That's fine. So if those dogs, you know, back in the day, hunted a little closer, trailed them up, and today they're going a mile, mile and a half, we are constantly losing places to hunt. Absolutely. It's getting harder and harder to find areas to contain these dogs. So do you think that going forward in the future, we're going to have to start reeling these guys back in? Do you think we're going to have to change our ways as far as how we're training these dogs? Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how in the world they can keep doing it because I was pleasure hunting last night. I was sitting in the ranger. Um, I had a little issue with my dog. Kept wanting to bust out of this one section, and I picked him up on a road twice, the same road. Um, and mine's not a ambusher. I mean, he's a trailer, but... Um, I got, I was sitting there thinking last night, I'm thinking I'm 60 years old. I've coon hunted around West Lafayette for 40 years and up here for 10. And, um, I can't hardly think of a place I could guide a cast right now. Either place. Honestly. Isn't that crazy? I've been doing this. I mean, I got, I can hunt around here all night by myself. Yeah. And, but a lot of it's a drop or two and move. I, I cannot think of a place I could down in West Lafayette. There's a few, but used to, I, oh, I got every hunt out of Logansport, out of Monticello, out of Kokomo. But man, it's, it's like crazy how, how much I've lost. I still have a lot of hunting down there, but, and maybe it's because I've gotten older and a little more, um, think about a little more about getting in trouble or getting, having, getting dogs where they're not supposed to be. Cause used to, you didn't really care. You just turn them loose, but yeah, it's it's changed so much. I don't know how they do it. You know, down south they have some bigger timber and some stuff, but I can't see how they can keep doing, it, especially with no leash lock, you know, and all that. Which I I do I like that, but yeah, up here it's tough. I mean, all that I can really think about <clears throat> to take a cast is the reservoirs. Absolutely, and you know they're they're big, but they're rough. They're, oh yeah, they're they're tough to hunt. But I mean, that's what I hunt ninety percent of the time. You know, I recently moved up here, and I really don't have a bunch of ground. And the two bigger places that I do have to hunt, there seems to be some controversy on there, which is just, it's mind-blowing to me. But anyways, that's a whole nother rabbit hole you can go down. Sure. So, like you said, you know, guiding casts is, is getting harder to do. And and so back in the day, you made a good point right there that, you know, maybe you're getting a little older and you're concerned about, you know, you don't want to be where you shouldn't be. Right. Because it, it's a bigger deal now than it was. It is. And, you know, whenever I first started coon hunting, it was kind of like, and that was nine years ago. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, well, turn loose on somewhere you've got permission. And if your dog gets where it shouldn't be, then, you know, it'll be okay. It's not the end of the world. Just go get that dog. Um, but now with the ever-growing popularity of these cell cameras. Oh, my goodness. It is going to be, I call them the death of the coon hunter. It's horrible. Because you cannot go anywhere without running into a cell camera. I know. We're doing this interview the night before deer gun season comes in in Indiana. When you pulled in, you said you were going hunting afterwards. And I, I said, I'm not going the next two nights. Just And I never crossed my mind when I was younger. I didn't, you know, you never had any trouble. And I, I you know, I listened to your, your podcast with Shane. Um, you know, that was awesome. I, I wish I had a conversation with somebody today about, about that conversation you had. And, and we we're all agreeing that, you know, 
they need to do more with more coon hunter, deer hunter people. I don't think it'll ever change the deer hunter's mind, but the more they hear it, maybe it'll change some of their minds, but it's mind blowing how much, I mean, deer hunting has changed the way I coon hunt this time of year. And it's a shame because this is absolute my favorite time to coon. Oh, it's prime. Oh, I love it. I mean, you know, and I still got plenty hunting. I don't have to worry about deer hunters, but I'm still a little bit, I'm still a little bit in that mode. Um, I'm getting a lot more permission up here, but I'm still, I probably always will be. If my dog gets where, somewhere it's not supposed to be, I'm going to go get the dog. You know, if I get yelled at, screamed at, whatever, it's going to happen. Um, but I'm going to go get my dog. But used to, I, I was thinking about this the other day too. I'd go to a UKC hunt two hours away. And when that UKC hunt was over, I would hunt my way home. I'd hunt till daylight. I'd just go down the highway, get 30 minutes from the club, down a gravel road I'd go. Oh, there's a woods. I'd hunt. And no clue. You didn't have, I mean, you had a beat beat tracker, but you had no, you didn't have the bird's eye. You didn't know who owned what. Right, I you hunted. Didn't, didn't have like Onyx or an app like nothing. that where you could see. Didn't you have a cell phone back then? Yeah. But I'd hunt my way home and never had any trouble. You know, probably wouldn't do that nowadays, especially this time of year. I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, it's it really changed a lot. It, it has, and and that's what concerns me. You know, moving forward is yeah. Is and it, you know, you said in, you listen to Shane's podcast. He made a good point in there that you know he said he doesn't think it's um, he he does think it's more of a people issue. You know, people, oh, the way that people think and the way that they're so guarded over property and boundary lines and this is Horrible. mine and stay off of it. You know, it's just so much different. And I'll say it's different up here than it is back home in southern Indiana. You know, back back home where I built my hunting cabin, yeah, people, they post their ground and stuff, but you can call them and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be hunting over in this area. Do you care if I go get my dog or can I have permission? And they're like, no, I really don't want you hunting on it, but if your dog gets over there, feel free to go get it. Right. You know, and up here, I've been, just been flat out told no a yeah. few times. Like, no, don't go, like, you're not going. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, you have to get your dog at some point, you know, but oh, what yeah. extent does it go to to get that? And I'm, I feel lucky that. I really, I mean, I talk really bad about the deer hunting, you know, community in general, but in all reality, I haven't had a lot of trouble, but I know it's there and it can happen. So I get so guarded this time of year. It's, it's crazy, um, that I get that guarded and I've really only had one up here and no really run-ins down home in West Lafayette area, but up here I've had one run-in with a guy and when it was all said and done text me when you're going back to get the dog right but it it was way back worse than that i mean before yeah. we got it all settled the, i called the law in fact i called the law and they came because i was on where i had permission but long story short that's really the only bad running i've had but i guess i'm just so guarded and i know it's probably going to happen and it can happen anytime this time of year and like i said there again i'm going to say it again i hate it because this this was always my favorite time to hunt November, you know, first couple of weeks of December. But now it's just like, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're scared where you're going to hunt. And it's a shame that can't share the two, you know? Yeah. And you know, even talking about that, you know, you, you're up and running up and down the roads about every weekend of these hunts. And I know that, you know, where we live here in Northern Indiana, it's not just the case here. It's the case of most places and they're changing the dates on the PKC world. Uh, over in Salem, Illinois, to accommodate deer season because of some issues that's been going on over there. So it's like we are having to adapt and change things 
to try and accommodate everyone. And, 100%. And I'm okay with that as long as, you know, hopefully the other parties involved can see that we're trying. Right. You know, and they recognize that. Yeah. And I just think, I think Coon Hunters right now and the registries are doing a pretty good job of trying to, you know, work around the other types of hunters because we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, houndsmen need to join or die. If right. we all don't join together, no matter what you what you hunt, being a houndsman will not be a thing in yeah. 50 years. Oh, I agree. Or 100 years. It's I just agree. not going to be a thing. And that scares me. Yeah, because if, if I look back on the 45 years I've been coon hunting, like you said, it, it's it's been a slow process. But where you go back 45 years to now, if you re, if I really sit and think about it, it's mind-blowing how much how many places I've lost and, and how, like you said, how the, how the deer hunting and coon hunting have collided and it's, you know, it's not in a good way at all. It's, um, yeah, there in the 45 years I've been doing it another four, if it, if it keeps going like it is in 45 years, there won't, like you said, there won't be any. Right. Yeah. We, we've got to come together and do something, but you know, that that's enough going down the, the little bit of negative rabbit yeah. hole there. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about, you know, where you're at right now. You're 60 years old. You are competing still at a high level. You had one of the biggest wins. I would, I would assume of your career. Absolutely. This year, uh, with the win at the tournament of champions with UKC, that was massive. Awesome. Um, actually go back before that win. Talk to me about the, the little dry spell you went on before yeah. that. Because when I talked to you up at the zones where you uh, were officially given the nickname The Rock, <laughs> you told me you were on a dry spell. Horrible. Yeah, it was. Um, so it was in the wintertime. I um, And that's when Hobo usually shines because he's very, very accurate. Um, I just, and it, it, the dog wasn't looking bad. But I could not buy a cast. I mean, it, I was trying to think. It all started in Quapaw about this time of year, $10,000 entry. I go out there and lay a big goose egg, but my dog was sick. Did, we didn't realize it. You couldn't tell by looking at him, but that's one thing. Most of the dogs I hunt, hobo included, usually I'm competitive in a cast. The dog stays right there. You, you get beat. You're still in the game, you know, somewhat. Hobo's always in the game most time. He wasn't in the game. Closest I was in the game was when I left the motel before we turned loose at night. That out there, it was like, what is going on? So good, good, good friend of mine, good friend of mine um, is my veterinary, Doc Greenwood, down home. And I uh, I called him when I left Oklahoma. I said, I don't know what's wrong, this dog, you know. So I went to him. Sure enough, he had some urinary tract, prostate infection stuff going on, just very, very dehydrated from all that. So we doctored him up, and he was back to normal. Looking good, but I couldn't win a cast. I mean, I went to, I left here and was in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia for a month. I stayed at Ashley Oxidines um, for a week, off and on here and there. Stayed with Strickland and Savannah. Went to pro sport hunts, went to PKC hunts. I mean, we're talking many, many thousands of dollars of entries. Never won a cast. I never figured, I couldn't figure it up the exact amount, but it was somewhere around 20 casts, maybe a little more than that. I lost in a row. That's unheard of. It was with, yeah, I mean, and it was always get beat by a quarter. 
have a den when they needed a coon, um, get beat on a tiebreaker. The dog, like I said, he was back to normal. He was looking fine. But, boy, was I frustrated. And now that I remember it was a big joke up there at TOC. I kept telling everybody that I couldn't yeah. buy a cast, you yep. know, at the zones. Because I think I'd won a cast or two maybe before then. It was, But I still hadn't by no means got on a roll. That's where it started. And I got beat the first night. Uh, it's same thing. Dog looked good. Tree two coons. Um, Alvin Zagmunt from Michigan. Um, hunting a nice little female. Same thing. She outstruck me out of the truck, so she beat me on strike. I was like, oh, same thing, same thing. Next night, it all changed. Um, he looked really good. I treated three or four coons for another dog, even treed a coon, and got on a roll, scored 750, 775, something, and then just went right through the TOC. Um, and then, thank God, since then, I mean, I've been beat since then several times, but we haven't been on a dry spell. We've done very well since then. So Yeah, that's, that's good. And I was glad to see you win that. TOC because we were giving you a pretty rough time up there in the zone <laughs> about your dry spell. You it was were horrible and... though. I, yeah, I mean when you're, you know, when you've done as long as me, and I try to tell some of these young guys too, you got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win. Because it, it's just like anything, you're gonna lose. But that was almost too much. I was like, man, what do I got to do to shake this monkey off my back? Yeah. And there, what a better way than to? And it was it was awesome the way it all happened. Um, Doug Galbraith came up from Georgia for the finals of the TOC. And, of course, Strickland was there hunting. He got beat the first round. But he he stuck around to be my, my number one cheerleader, him and Doug both. And, I mean, that's great when you have people cheering you on. You know, yeah. my wife was – she she wasn't there, but she was cheering me on. And, and it it's – you know, I've won – I've won everything in coon hunting, basically, the PKC has to offer and everything, but a world championship. I've won trucks nationals uh, futurity super stakes doc now and everything and um it just it's weird how that happens though when you win one like that you look back and say man that was easy because when you win one it's easy the next one you go to you get beat you're like it's not easy no more but man when you cruise most of the time and you'll have a cast where you get a break um your dog might not look as good or something will happen and i got one the toc just i treat a coon right at the end i thought i was beat i mean I was basically sitting at a tree and Tech Strickland, I'm beat. I said, I don't think I can win. And it, it turned around. You know, I, I actually ended up winning that cast. So, But you look back and say, wow, that was fun because you cruised through it. Dog looked good. You know, he, he made nine trees down there and, what, three or four casts, whatever, and had coons in every tree. Right. So. Yeah. No, that was good. You know, that, that was a big win. What, uh, up to this point, what would be one of your most memorable wins? Because you said you've won everything but a world, and I would assume you're still gunning for that world of some sort. You want to get that notch in your belt. But. Buddy, I just went to the Senior PKC World Championship. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't care. It, it was funny because when they announced they were going to have it, I said, I hope there's two people show up and I win it because I can say I've won a world championship. I mean, that's – but, hey, they had a good turnout. They really did. But I'm like, I don't care if it's a, if it's the – Pickle Invitational World Championship. Somebody said they were going to hold a world championship and invite only me. That way I could win one. <laughs> I've been in the Final Fours. I've been in Buku top sixes and top tens and top 12, top 20s, but I've not won one. I mean, it, so I did go to the Senior PKC World Championship, and kudos to Roger Dale for having that. Uh, I think it'll be a big thing. Um, they had over 100, I don't know, 100 some entries down there. So that was great. Um, I did get in the top eight, but there again, top eight got beat. So, 
Yeah, so so you haven't won the world yet, but what's a favorite what's a favorite win out okay. of all the years? The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogueroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogueroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night to working on plumbing in the house changing tires on the side of the road my truck doesn't leave the driveway without a cajun light in it and that light is the micro gator every cajun light is durable made from the highest quality components and it is backed by cajun's top rated customer service check out cajun lights you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com go to our sponsors page hit that link it'll take you right to cajun lights check them out they got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. I'd have to say there's two. Um, there's never been one more satisfying than 2006. Henry had been retired for three years. I was hunting bad habit for Strickland, and he got hit on the road and killed while I was hunting um, in Illinois in an open hunt. Big added purse. That was the biggest they had back then. You know, we was we were leading the pro division. We were leading the open division. We were leading everything. And in fact, we ended up winning the pro division. There was five pro hunts left in the year, and he, when he got killed, and he still won the pro division. They couldn't catch us. Really? He was he was a bad unit. But um, so but 2006. So that's when he, I can't remember when Havoc got killed. But so he was what I was going to hunt in the handler shootout, the truck hunt. He got killed. John and me were talking. He's like, I don't know what you're going to hunt. He said, we really don't have anything. I said, I know what I want to hunt. He said, what's that? I said, Henry. And he kind of snickered. He said, well, he's been retired. How old is he? I said, he's 10. I said, I, I said that's who I'd want to hunt if he, you know, I don't have any clue. And he said, well, you hunt anything you want. And uh, I said, well, I'll call John Burgess. You know, he's been at his house. The only time Henry was at my house his whole life. He lived to be 15. Um was those three years and probably was only two. He was retired a little while and I still kept him, but it's kind of a, it's really funny story. I, it's, it's great. Cause I called John and I told him what I was thinking and he laughed. He said, Jeff, I haven't hunted him. He said, he fat as a hog. I said, I got three months for the truck hunt. He said, well, come down here. We'll see if he can trick him. I went down there and I, so Henry's 68 pounds in hunting shape. So he's a good sized dog, but not too big. He weighed 110 pounds. Oh, my goodness gracious. 110 pounds. He we, was living the McDouble lifestyle. Oh, it was unbelievable. I said, John Burgess, what are you, what have you done? He just, man, he's living a good life. I'm like, let's go turn him loose. He waddled out through. He's 10 years old now, 110 pounds. He waddled out through there, struck a track, trailed it through the tree, had a coon. I said, I don't know, John. He said, what do you think? I said, let me take him home. So I put him on what? Me and Greg Dunlap call the Hitler diet. <laughs> so he got basically, it, it sounds cruel, but barely a 
a handful of food a day. Yeah. Now, I didn't hunt him hard. I was roading him. And I made sure, you know, to keep his plenty of water and everything. Um, I had to wait off in a month. I took that weight off because I was running him hard. And I was hunting him a little bit. But I wanted to get that weight off before I hunted him hard. One month I had the weight off. Two months I had him ready. I had a whole month. And he was 10 years old, and I swear he acted like he did when he was five. So, I was, you know, I'd hunted him. I'd hunted him. I'd got in a final four of a, a truck hunt with him when he was younger. That's a whole other story. Felt like I kind of got, um, I got second, but I felt like I got Jude out of a truck then. So it was kind of redemption. I went down there and everybody's laughing. He's 10 years old, blah, 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 blah. So ended up getting in the final four and, and, uh, very, very bad night that night. The two, the night before that was, the weather was great. The next day for the final four, it was like high of 17. This is in Southern Mississippi, you know, and unheard of for that time of year too. I mean, Frost was two inches thick when we went, and Henry was never one to win on a circle tree. I mean, he had coons we treat. He treated two circle trees to win the truck that night. Nothing else even made a tree. It was rough out. But that was that was definitely one of, the, if not the most memorable hunt, because um, Henry was always known as the dog that never quite won the big one. He final four of the UKC World Hunt, final four of the Truck Hunt, final four of the Nationals three years in a row. Just ne- you know, I did win several pro hunts with him, but just never could pull off that big win. So that was awesome to do that. And a really quick funny story about the truck too, because when I told John, I said. He's ready. I said, what kind of deal you want to make? He said, what do you mean deal? I said, he's your dog. And he just looked at me and he said, if you got enough, you know, belief in that dog at 10 years old to hunt him in the truck, and if you win that truck, it's yours. And when I won that truck, I drove it down to John's. And we took pictures. And um, he that truck was mine. He never took a penny. Yeah. So, yeah, that was awesome. And then um, I'd say the next one would have to be the TLC with hobo this year so yeah it was, that was good and i didn't know that story about henry so that, yeah that's that an awesome neat. story yeah and and you know to have somebody like john who's been on your side for you know years you, you've hunted for john strickland for years yeah. to have him be on your side and just you know do what he's done and, and believe in you i mean that that says a lot about him as well you know? oh man he you know he's like we'll try to find you one but if you got if you know of one you want to hunt you know you hunt anything you want and well, and that was another story with him too. Same thing before I ever, you know, John Burgess is the one that said, if you got enough belief in the dog, but same thing with John. I said, you know, I got the handler ticket hunting your dog. I said, what kind of deal? Um, he said, I don't want any deal. He said, you're not going to hunt one of my dogs. He said, you know, you, you, whatever you hunt, he said, whoever you hunt, you know, if you hunt Henry, make a deal with Burgess. So yeah, John, you know, Strickland is a, he's a super good guy. I mean, he's, he's treated, could not, could not ask for a better person to hunt for. Um, people, a lot of people know, but a lot of people don't know. As of November first, I don't hunt for John anymore. Still best buds. Um, I'm still hunting hobo. I'm hunting for Ashley Oxidine now. So, but it has nothing to do with anything coon hunting related or nothing related actually, other right. than John. He's done a long time. He's going to handle his own dog and try to lay back a little bit and not have to worry about handler. So yeah, everything's I'm, good. It's, it's got to put some stress on a guy. Oh my guess, goodness, you know. And, and so does that put stress on you, like as a, as a quote unquote professional handler, when somebody is laying down those entry fees for you and your friends, do you ever worry about going on a losing streak like that, losing a bunch of money 
and and your friendship being jeopardized? Do you ever worry about that? Not with Strickland. Um, it's funny because yeah, I think me and Oxidine will be the same way because I know John forwards a lot of you know from years and years experience with me. Um, I you know like. I use what I want to say is I handle the dog like it's my money. I'm not one to withdraw um, just for just be, if I get upset or mad, you know, I, I will withdraw. If, I, if I'm beat, I'm going to get out of somebody's way. But I, that's something that John's never, ever, ever done is put pressure on me for anything. So I handle like it's my money, and he knows that. And we have – that's another thing. Um, we have never had an argument about anything. Basically, we train dogs the same. We hunt dogs the same. That's what's worked so well between me and him. Never, ever had an argument about one penny. Um, you know, he's he knows he can trust me. If he gives me a million dollars, he knows a year from now I'll have that million dollars. I mean, there's a lot of little stories I could tell you about money and things like yeah. that. And he, he can trust me. I mean, had his credit card for years. and I've never bought one thing. So I think that that leads to the point where I don't worry about his money because I treat it like it's my money and right. he knows I'm treating his money like it's my money. So yeah. we've never had an issue yeah, ever. I was wondering how that worked. Cause you know, I'm I not saying there hasn't been issues other handlers with other people. I'm sure there has been, but ours is pretty special. Yeah. And it, it's good. Cause you know, I, I always think about that. I'm like, man, I wonder what kind of pressure these guys, yeah. you know, get into. Cause obviously the goal one day is for myself to be in your shoes. You know, I'd yeah. like to have all these accolades and, and do it. And, and, you know, I'm always working towards that. But I always do wonder about it. I'm like, man, what if, you, what if I find a money guy? Because there's just going to be so much pressure where it's it's not enjoyable anymore. No, it's you – know? and, and for me to give any, you know, any young person, um, you know, you're, you're way farther along than some young people I'm thinking about. But young people that are just getting into it, um, my thing is just, just what I just said. Treat their money like it's your money. Don't, you know, don't that, – don't give them a reason – to not trust you with that money and, and give it everything you got out there to win, you know, and, but just do it like it's your money. And then you, I don't think you'll ever have an issue and don't, don't lie to them about money right. or this or that, you know? Yeah, for sure. So moving, moving forward into, into the future of the sport, um, you know, it's something that I'm very passionate about and I want to see this be around for, you know, when my boys are grown and, and they're having kids of their own and I, I want to see that. So, there's a few things going here that I want to pick your brain about to see, you know, maybe if you think they're good or bad for the sport. So let's start off with like the elephant in the room. These big money hunts, big entry fee hunts, are they hurting or helping the sport? I don't think it's hurting the sport at all. Um, my only thoughts, I don't know if it's a concern. Um, I don't know how long that kind of money can last. I mean, I, I personally think in the last few months I've seen a decline in that. Um, absolutely. You got some of the bigger, you know, some of the bigger guys won't mention any names that are supposedly getting out and some have gotten out, um, got rid of some handlers. Um, you know, Strickland, he's slowed down just his own. I mean, there's, you know, he, me and Judas ran the hunts with him. There's some entries, there's been some that have been some bigger entry fee hunts canceled lately, you know, or yeah. or knocked down to lower entries. And um, I just – I don't know how long it can be sustained. Yeah. I don't. Steve, I mean, Steven Bashman and I were talking about that literally yesterday about how he said, look at the look at the hunt schedule. He's like, they're not filling. He said, you know, a year ago, 
you couldn't get on the phone with whatever right. registry quick enough to buy an entry. He's like, and now they're canceling them. He's like, and, and just look. He said, look at some of the big names as far as handlers and owners. He said, they're not going. And I asked him, I said, you know, is there something specific that's that's causing that and driving that? And, he, and you know, obviously neither one of us know, but, you know, he, he and I kind of just come to the conclusion that people are just kind of burnout. I think I can give a, a little bit of insight on that. Um, there's too many. You know, you you got PK or UKC is getting into money hunts now. You got UKC, you got PKC, you got Pro Sport. Um, so, and you only got so many people with money that can can do those kind of entries time after time again. So there's, I'd say. So that's what I'm trying to say is, year ago, two years ago, three years ago, there wasn't as many. So they were. I think that's one reason they filled. You had like one sixty five hundred dollar hunt a year, maybe two. Oh yeah, you couldn't even get on. You had to almost camp out to get an entry. And I don't think it's that there's less people that are getting those entries. I think there's just so many of those hunts. Right. That's why some of them aren't filling. You're still getting a lot of them that do fill. Um, but you know, like the hundred thousand dollar hunt. You know, they got PKC has one. Well, they had two this year, and then Pro Sport has one. They fill. Yeah, it's like, you know, look at, what was it, last, was it last weekend? There was that 10,000 in Quapaw. Yeah. I think it was Quapaw, wasn't it? Quapaw, yeah. Yeah, Quapaw. 10,000 there. There was the Pro Sport Truck Hunt, and which, shout out real quick to TJ McCauley. Uh, Yeah. God, how about that, man? Eighth grader in the final four of a truck hunt. Absolutely. You know I drew him both rounds. Did you? Both rounds. Absolutely. Tell, tell me about that real quick, because you know I I, I do. I, if TJ's listening to this man, congratulations. Um, but I, that was very very impressive, and this might be you know just a uh, a deal for younger kids who might be listening to this. Absolutely. To, it's it's an inspiration because you can do it. So tell me about that hunt real quick. Yeah, and just before we get off the subject, the other hunt was a sixty four dog pro hunt, PKC pro hunt, in yeah. South Carolina. Yep, nope, that's you right. You had three major hunts in Alfield in one weekend. One weekend. Yeah, that was impressive. So there's people out there. I mean, but yeah. So I um, I drew TJ the first. I I really didn't know TJ at all. I'd kind of seen him on Facebook. I drew him at the Super Stakes, hunting Big Bad Bud, same one he's hunting this weekend, and uh, had a really good hunt. And um, at the at the Super Stakes, and I thought, boy, he's a for his age, you know, thirteen years, twelve, thirteen years old, um, knows what he's doing for one thing. Um, very, very much a gentleman in a cast. Um, it was kind of unbelievable. Way more of a gentleman than I could name a lot of people that I'd rather, I'd rather draw him than, than those people. We won't get into that. But, um, so then come pro sport truck hunt time, uh, I saw on Facebook like a few days before, maybe a week before that, um, Dustin James was going to buy his entries. I thought, man, that's awesome. So I get down there and I draw him the first round. TJ comes up, you know, shakes my hand. Yeah, you know, uh, we drew into super stakes. We'll have another good hunt tonight. And me, Barry Kitty, Trey Perrin, TJ. I can only imagine what TJ was thinking. I, I don't think he would be nervous at all. I really don't. <laughs> he I wasn't. don't think that kid has an ounce he of nervous in him. And I, I was surprised because I'm thinking, you know, he's drawn three people that's been around. A lot. I mean, Trey's a little younger, but he's been around. Everybody knows Trey. And, you know, me and Barry, my God, we've been beating heads together for 40 years. Um, Barry's a good dude to draw. But so we go out there, and Bud didn't look very good that first round. Um, 
and I we both get beat. Trey Perrin ends up winning the cast. Um, real funny story. I I know TJ would love this. I, I don't know if you've heard about it. We he's told everybody and he laughed about it. Not making fun of his dog or anything, but so he gets treed right at the end. He trees him, and we can tell he's got a coon on the ground. We're hustling to him. He's half a mile away. We keep going, and you can hear him fighting. And then he then he go to bay, and he fight. He's before we ever heard him fighting. He's like he's baying. He's baying one. We get up there, and I'm kind of hanging back a little bit, listening for my dog, because I need to get treed here before the hunt's over to win. And um, hunt runs out, so I start hustling up there, and he's 50 yards ahead of me, baby, and kind of up this little hill. There's a little little woods there, and real tall grass. I said, "Go ahead, TJ, go ahead." He jumps in that grass. He said, hey, hurry, hurry, hurry. He's got a coon on the ground. He's got a coon on the ground. He goes, oh, hell, he's got a coyote. <laughs> he said, can you guys please come help me? He's got a coyote. He's got a coyote. Hey, Bud has got a coyote caught on the ground and has held this dude for 30 minutes till we get there all by his lonesome. <laughs> I have never, okay, 45 years of coon hunting. I've never seen it. Bud had him caught. He had him caught the coyote, and we we could we had to physically pull Bud off this coyote, and the coyote gets up, and the guide ends up, you know, yeah, stepping on his neck and getting rid of him, yeah, the coyote. But yeah, so we laughed about that. God, we got back to the club. We told that story, and everybody laughed and, and laughed. And, and I laughed. can just hear TJ telling the story. Oh my God, he jumped! <laughs> I you ought to see him jump back. He's got a coyote! Oh my God! You know, so it was hilarious. So roll on. Draw out late round. I draw TJ. I'm like, are you kidding me? We, you know, which is fine. I mean, TJ, because he's great to hunt with. I'm thinking, I mean, I got to be, I got to be honest. I'm thinking, you know, Bud never made a tree the first round. He caught a coyote. We go out there. Um, uh, Lee Varner hunting this year's Autumn Oaks winner. Um, what's his name? Uh, Ferris. Ferris, yep. And I drew a boy. I, I hate. I don't didn't really know him. He's one of Dustin Weed's friends, and he's hunting Little Willie for Levi Stevenson, and it's me hunting Hobo, and then TJ. Well, we turn loose, and and uh, Bud's a good strike dog. He takes first strike. I take second. I get treed, got a coon, cut me loose. Bud gets treed right there. He's got a coon. He's up by a corner. I'm like, well, he's treed a coon. Now he's ahead of me, you know. I'm thinking, I'll get treed again. So we got to walk to Willie through the world. Mine gets treed again, treat him. He treats Bud. Like, gone. He never even made a tree the first round. We walk all the way to Willie, over a mile, through these swamps and everything else. It's great hunting, but we get back and the hunt's basically over. We're split treed again. The first time they're only split treed like twenty yards. This time they're split treed like twenty five yards. Hunts over. Both got coons. He beats me by a quarter. Never made a tree the first round, but he he did. He looked good there. He treed two coons, and and even though I got beat and I was disappointed. My dog looked good, and I was tickled to death for TJ. I really, really was. Yeah. And so, absolutely, I was rooting for him the next night when he got in the final. You know, he gets in the final four. So, yeah, was, good boy. Very I was, boy. I was hoping he'd win that truck. I, you know, win a yeah. truck he can't even drive yet. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to school, tell all his buddies he won a truck. What'd you do this weekend? Well, I won a truck. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Pretty unbelievable. I, uh, I think as long as he stays on the path he's on and. Uh, Around the people, he, you know, Shaq McCullough, that's one of Shaq's dogs. You won't find a better person than Shaq. Um, super good, super good guy. I've known Shaq for many, many years. And, you know, that's Shaq's dog. Shaq backs him and lets him go to these hunts. And 
Fantastic. I think he stays on the right track like he is. He'll be he'll be one to reckon with. Yeah, for sure. But you know that that whole conversation there spun around that there was three big hunts there yeah. in, in one weekend. So it was interesting to looking to see what handlers went to what hunts. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the the Kapaw and then I was looking at the pros the pro hunt yeah. and then looking at the pros. I'm like, man, like I wonder how you guys choose, you know, where you're going. Yeah. I'll tell you what I. This is kind of funny. I've told a lot of people this over the last few weeks. I haven't done a lot of good in these truck hunts with Hobo. I've won a few casts, but I've been to several truck hunts. Um, Ashley handled him in a truck hunt in Florida last year and got second. But as far as me, I've won a few casts, but um, I've never gotten a Final Four with him. So as of right now, my number one hit list is a pro sport truck. I can't stand it. I mean, I will. I mean, but after last weekend, I told her by when I left, I said, I might quit hunting these because I just can't have any luck. Well, you might as well not even enter if Ward's going to be on there. I mean, that sucker's won five, five of them. I know. Five trucks. I know. He won't share. I mean, that is pretty unbelievable. And, you yeah. know, kudos to him. Hats off to him. Oh, absolutely. But five trucks. Five that's, trucks. Do you think, you think it gets old? No. I promise you. <laughs> I promise. I could win 20 and I'd still be wanting to win another one. But... But no, that's so that's my number one right now. So Quapaw, ten thousand dollar entry truck hunt. You got twenty five hundred if you hunt both rounds. Yep. Um that was the first hunt I went to for um Ashley, you know, Oxidine. I'm hunt for Ashley now. I mean that didn't have anything to do with it really. Um I'm sure, you know, Ashley says I can go anywhere I want. That's what Strickland always told me. But but that's kind of my number one thing right now. Yeah. Um I and I hate to say it, there again. I don't want to sound like I'm too big for my britches or whatever. I'm just really not interested in the pro hunt, pro hunts, the regular old pro three or four hundred dollar pro hunt anymore. I mean, right. my God, I did it for years and years and years and years. Not saying if that's what all there was, absolutely, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But there, that's not all there is. Right. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to the bigger ones, so that's that's where that's where I want to be. Right. Okay. Just a couple more things for you here before we sign off here. We don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, the Coonhound Calcutta. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Because you know this is, has potential to get really big, sure, and there has potential to be a lot of mainstream media and coverage and people outside of our world throwing a bunch of money. Yeah. What do you think about that? I love it. I love it. Um, have I participated in? It? I really haven't yet. Um, I've played around and looked at it. I'm not saying I won't get on there and 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 do some play with it some more. Um, but yeah, it's like there again. Um, back in the day, you know, you'd throw twenty dollars down at a you know fifty dollar entry hunt for Calcutta. Now look, they you get online, you pay three, four, five, six hundred dollars. You know, and I was kicking myself in the butt at the PKC World because I was sitting there going through there. I was like, all right, you know, I told Wes whenever I did the podcast with him, I said, I, right. I said, I'm not a big gambler, but I'm gonna get on there and support you because I like what you're doing. So. Went to UKC World and got thumped by Thumper. Yeah. You know, I was like, man, he looked really good. So I was watching the dogs kind of, you know, a couple days before and the day before the PKC World. And and Thumper wasn't getting crazy up there in price. And so, you know, I bid on him. I think it was like 60 bucks. Yeah. And another guy went up to 80. And I think I, I, think I went to 100. And I was like, okay, I'm done, you know. I'm just not, I'm not a big gambler. I don't like yeah. it. And, and I think, you know, he bid me one more time for like 120 and that joker went out there and got, what do you get? Third, second, second, second at the world. Yeah. 
And the payout for that was really freaking good. I think oh, it was like yeah. 1800 bucks or something. I was like, you tight wad. If oh, you would have just been 20 more bucks, I you would have come home with way more. I'm the same way, though. I mean, I I like to play poker, and I'm a, I am love to play blackjack when, at the casino. But, you know, the big, big money, and like to go – to go bet on a dog that I'm not hunting, um, especially, is like, I don't know. I just, it doesn't, not saying I won't do it, but the, yeah. But like you said, when it gets up a hundred bucks or more, I'm like, eh, I don't know, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm just talking talking to Wes about it, you know, they're, you know, hopefully eventually they'll get to where there's odds and stuff. And the people that are outside of our world who are, that's all, they don't care who the handler or the dog is. They're just looking at numbers. Yeah. You know, it has potential to bring a, a really big limelight to the sport. So, oh, absolutely. Um, looking forward to see where that goes. The last thing I got for you. So you've been doing this for a long time. We have established that. You've won almost everything you can win. We've established that. Judges, going forward with as much volatile money as being thrown around, where do you think there needs to be a cutoff where from this entry fee and higher, it is non-hunting judges every round? Well, this, this has been an argument for years. Um you know, back in the day, they used to have, at the PKC World Hunt, they even had non-hunting judges early. Right. Our complaint always was, back then, even, and I'm, it'd be the same thing today, you're, all your good judges are hunting. I mean, so, boy, you had some horrible judges. I mean, so, and my saying has always been, there's nothing like a good non-hunting judge, but there's nothing worse than a bad judge non-hunting judge so in my opinion i know a lot of people don't like it but they've done what absolutely had to be done um is having hunting judges i mean i know it goes kind of deep i think it goes a little too deep now because i know you said where's the cutoff right i'm good with that first round or, you know the monday tuesday wednesday thursday say the world hunter the nationals super stakes is the same way too, same right? way yeah so <clears throat> Yeah, those qualifying rounds, I'm good with early and late judges okay. being hunting judges. But I absolutely 100% believe after that, there's no reason they can't have – there's a lot of them knocked out. Right. You know, then you could have good non-hunting judges after that. Yeah, and I guess when I phrase that, I probably misspoke there because I know like a lot of the $2,500, you have a non-hunting judge the whole yeah. the whole time. So I I, mis- I misspoke there, but I was mainly referencing, you know, the, the super stakes and the yeah. world hunt and national stuff like that. After your qualifying rounds, there's – um, should they, sh- I mean, and this is a, we've picked each other's brains through the years, me and John and a lot of people, um, maybe they have to pay a little more to get, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with, I'm not saying they have to make a guy rich, but you know, most guys aren't going to stick around, um, and judge two or three casts for a hundred bucks. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know one thing just speaking of that and, um, you know, not talking bad about this in any no, way, shape, or form. Me neither. Um, but, you know, I was um, approached to maybe judge some of the pro hunts for this new pro series they've got coming on. Mm-hmm. And just talking around, I'm like, because, you know, some of these are in um, South Carolina, Mississippi, Tennessee. You mm-hmm. know, I think the closest one out of the first four to me was like eight hours away. Sure. And PKC was going to pay $500 for a non-hunting judge. Well, the whole weekend. Yeah, that doesn't even cover your room or your fuel. Right. So how how can we be expecting guys to travel 
right. all over the place and lose money yeah. and with no chance of making money. And walk your guts out now. Yeah, and be away from your family and stuff Absolutely. like that. So I agree with the paying more. Like I said, I don't think you need to make anybody rich, but you know, just, just looking around at, make that, a little money. at that most recent deal that I had seen, I was like, man, I don't know how you can yeah. not get a local guy to do it. Yeah, if you're an hour away and they're going to pay you $500 or two hours it's away, a little different, yeah. it's a little way different. But to pay somebody... $500 to travel 12 hours because that's going to kill two days. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't think it's not going to work. I mean, you know, at least they can pay for your, you know, give you so much allowance for fuel and, and a motel. Right. And then pay you. So if you, if you were reimbursed or paid for your fuel and your motel, $500, that's not bad. Right. At, above and beyond what. Correct. You know, I don't think that's a bad, you know, you're still not, you're not getting rich, but at least you are making a little money for your family. Like you said, you're away from your family and you know, you're doing it, you're still doing it basically for the love of the sport. Right. Right. Which is what we all do. But at the same time, you can't, can't lose your tail end on it. No, because I mean, you'd much rather be hunting in it. Yep. For sure. All right, Jeff. Well, I sure appreciate you joining me today. You got anything else you want to talk about before we get off here? No, not really. Um, you know, just, I appreciate you coming and, um, and we and you've talked about doing this for a while. I'm glad we got together. Um, you know, I've done done some other podcasts, and this was kind of uh, a different different style. And I like it um, because we've talked about some different things that, and that's one thing I have liked about your, the Houndsman XP stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, you're you're not just doing guys basically live what they've done their whole life coon hunting. I mean, yeah, we did throw some of that in there, but right. we're talking about things that. A lot of people don't even think about, you know, like you said, the 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 way um, handlers have evolved and dogs have evolved, and so it was that's that's been really interesting for me yeah. for you to bring some of this stuff up because you know that's stuff I think about. You know, I'll be out there pleasure hunting or working, driving the truck or whatever, and I think about a lot of this stuff. And like like I talked about earlier, the the um, you know, it's amazing. I've been coon up for forty five years, and I can't think of a place that I could you know, actually guide a cast. Is that, that's not amazing to yeah. me. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. I probably could down West Lafayette, but, but I wouldn't feel safe, but yeah. So it's been awesome. You brought some of that stuff up and I've got to talk about it. And, um, you know, the, like I said, there again, for the young handlers, just, just, you know, do your best to win and, and, um, always, always, always be straight up with whoever you're hunting for. Don't yeah. lie and, and treat the dogs and the money like it's yours. Right. Well, like I said, I sure appreciate you coming on here and, and, you know, thank you for supporting the Deep and Lonely Podcast and Houndsman XP. We do try to do something different. Um, you know, you guys have listened to this. You heard in the pre-roll before this podcast that, you know, Deep and Lonely is transitioning. We're going, we're going to Semper Doggin come January 1. We're, we're rebranding and it's going to be something good. Um, we're going to try and, and cover the majority of the competition coon world. We're also going to branch out a little bit and do some different stuff, you know, because people, people have asked us, to do that and we like we enjoy doing this we enjoy putting these podcasts out for you guys and we we want to listen to what our listeners are having to say and they, they want to hear some more stuff um you know other than the competition stuff so so deep and lonely like i said january 1 is rebranding to simper doggin i'm gonna have a co-host on here with me it's gonna be a great time uh you guys have heard from one of the best in the business the million dollar man the rock jeff rickliffe so Jeff, thanks again for coming on. Um, really, really appreciate having you and sitting down to do this with me. Guys, make sure you head on over to houndsmanxp.com. You can find all of our merch over there, uh, tumblers, dog boxes, shirts, hats. It's the holiday season. Make sure to get some stuff ordered for yourself and your hunting buddies. 
Uh, we sure appreciate you on all that. Make sure you go over and, and visit the uh, page for the Join or Die merchandise. Those proceeds are going straight over to Colorado to support the Colorado uh, Initiative 91, where they're trying to take away hound hunting over in Colorado. And we all know that if we give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. It's, it's not affecting us right here in Indiana right now, but it's going to. So, Jeff, you got any thoughts on that one? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. The houndsmen need to stick together. Me and you talked about that a little bit off air earlier. Um, yeah, the way things have changed over the last 45 years, we talked about that. In another 45 years, uh, we won't be around if we don't do something different. So on that note, I also, uh, a lot of times I forget, but a couple things I want to say. Thank you, um, Ashley Oxidine, Doug Galbraith, John Strickland. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what, what I'm doing if it wasn't for them. You know, it's, they're in the back and, uh, you know, it's, it's not profitable for them at all, but you know, they love to see their dog out there and, and they give me a, give me free reign and two things that two people, um, have a cut and supply, you know, they're great people. They, they take care of me in every way, shape or form and native dog food. You know, I mean, they've been my sponsor for 15 years, native dog food. Um, we kind of get on Facebook and argue back and forth a lot of the hunters about dog food, but you know, they sponsor me, but I don't get a thing out of it telling people other than, you know, them helping me out in some dog food and it's, it's good dog food. So yeah, those are the, the people I'd like to thank. And other than that, I thank you for coming. Absolutely. But all right, guys, well, you heard it here on the deep and lonely podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes of Simper Doggin' and we will catch you next time.